0: I'm John Pittman, Program Director here at All Classical Portland, and today I'm speaking with countertenor Arye Nussbaum Cohen. Welcome, Arye.
1: Thank you. Glad to be with you.
0: Arye, the Philharmonia Baroque Orchestra in San Francisco, which I understand is where you're based, right?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Just released the recording made of Handel's oratorio, Saul. So you have a couple of, or maybe several performances of this under your belt already.
1: Yeah, but this was uh, this recording was made during my kind of role debut performances, so it was, it was my first uh, sort of first crack at the role, which a uh, role that's now very near and dear to me.
0: I would imagine so, and would you say that it, that has to do with the music itself, or maybe the association with Nicholas McEgan, because it turned out that he, he announced that this would be his last recording with the PBO.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say all of the above. Um, First of all, just the piece itself, I think, is absolutely extraordinary. I think Saul is Handel's most underrated masterpiece, and I think in terms of just the the drama of this piece, it's really, I mean, up there with all his greatest, greatest operas. Uh, the Giulio Cesare's, the Rodolinda's, the Rinaldo's. Um, so really, I mean, a thrill to, to be a part of this and to sing this role, which is my absolute favorite role I've sung to date, but you know, as you sort of mentioned, I mean, how special to be a part of this with Nick uh, and PBO and uh, especially sort of special for me because it was Nick and PBO's recordings that I really kind of grew up on musically. So when I was first falling in love with this music, it was their CDs that I had in my Walkman uh, that I was kind of burning out. So to be a part of a recording with them now, uh, you know, let alone Nick's final recording is in his illustrious uh, a sort of stint as music director PBO, uh, it's really beyond anything I ever could have imagined.
0: We know that Saul is an oratorio, but you mentioned, you, yeah. you put it up, up next to his operas, and when yeah. I was listening to it, I mean, it is the most operatic oratorio that I've heard, and I, I've i heard a few.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. And And, you know, I think a piece like Saul is not very well known compared to, you know, Giulio Cesare, or Ronaldo, you know, those sorts of pieces I was mentioning. And I think, frankly, it's just because it has the label Oratorio on it. And simply because it, you know, wasn't being performed by opera companies, etc., it was, you know, almost forgotten, you know, compared to these other Handel masterworks. But exactly, if we think of opera as representing these kind of big portrayals of big emotions, etc., I mean, I don't think there's anything more operatic that Handel ever wrote than this piece.
0: it has a lot that opera has to offer i mean it's got a big overture big sinfonia there's a big chorus that blasts right in at the beginning and also the other thing that i was i was really taken by is the clarity of how, how it conveys the story among the characters and that's partly a credit to you Aria, and your fellow singers but also i we have to say "handle" because it really oh, comes yeah. across so it's so followable if I could make up a word
1: yeah no and the the character dynamics that Handel kind of creates uh, are really extraordinary and I think that's exactly right about it, it being followable I mean the plot I think is totally sort of followable if we keep running with that um but it is it's just uh you know the dynamics that Handel creates between these characters and the, the different musical, I mean if we think about the greatest operas, we, that we feel internally this these kind of intense um, kind of differences between how the composer paints the characters, right? So we like really identify in, in La Boheme, you know, we really can identify with Mimi's music and, and Rodolfo's music and these themes that they bring out, right? And I think that's what's so brilliant about a piece like this is, is how different the music really is for each character and how that paints um, each of the characters totally kind of independently and, and also interwoven.
2: Where is the son of Jesse? Comes to grace our feast? He earnestly asked to leave to go to Panama where his father's house, at solemn rites of annual sacrifice, required his presence. Oh, perverse, rebellious, think'st thou, I do not know, that thou hast chose the son of Jesse to thine own confusion? The world will say, Thou art no son of mine. Who thus canst love the man I hate, the man who, if he lives, will rob thee of thy crown? Send him hither, for the wretch must die. What has he done, and wherefore must he die? Lest thou oppose my will? Die then thyself.
0: The other thing that I, I will say, just touching back on the opera versus oratorio thing, is I think yeah. it, I think it's fair to say that the average audience, the, the average those of us who who know Handel, when you see oratorio, you think Messiah and yeah. Christmas time, and yet this obviously could be played at any time in the year, and just hearing parts of it, I feel like people are missing out. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Well, in the oratorios, I mean, I think it's interesting for a second to go into the history here, because you're right, when we think of Handel's or oratorios, I mean, we basically just think of Messiah, right? And we think about in December sitting and either having a sing-along or watching a great performance of it. But oratorios, it was really just a formality kind of... Uh, in terms of the business of Handel's career. I mean, Handel was running an opera house in London, writing Italian operas and and a German guy, right? So it's quite this little web uh, happening in this period. And Handel had been writing these Italian operas that frankly, he wasn't selling them any tickets. So purely as an attempt just to try and sell more tickets, he started writing these oratorios, which he wrote in the English language, which was obviously the native tongue where they were being composed. And he was writing them in English about these biblical stories that were just a lot more accessible to people then, and probably now as well, um, in England. But frankly, you know, he didn't really change how he was writing. I mean, it was, you know, and and a piece like Saul, it's just as dramatic as anything, right? As any opera. It's purely, it was only written as an oratorio because that was the kind of business uh, decision of the moment. You know, it's not like he was really changing what he was writing, but... Absolutely, these oratorios I think are are far too neglected, and um, you know if you enjoy Handel opera, there is so much to discover in his world of oratorios.
0: So let's talk about your character, David. Um, yeah, You know, people know David as the kid who swung his slingshot at Goliath and, and <laughs> slew Goliath. But um, he, he, in this story, is the young man who takes the place of the elder Saul as the king of the yeah. Israelites.
1: Yeah, and, and this story really starts right after he's just... Sl- you know, taking his slingshot to Goliath's head, um, and it's it's a really interesting story because you're right. What we know of David is mostly, um, you know, that first sort of event where he takes down Goliath, and then we just know of him kind of vaguely as the king. I would say, um, but I think it's the kind of period in between that's really the most interesting. And this this portrayal in this piece is really remarkable. We start out with this kind of young, naive boy a shepherd boy right who's just killed goliath in this sort of miraculous feat and he's being praised by the israelites i mean that's the start of the pieces this after the overture is this wonderful chorus how excellent where the israelites are just heaping praise on this on this young kid really and what's interesting is just the way that we see David develop over the course of this piece um you know i may be biased but to me it's really the heart of the piece it's called Saul and it's about Saul's kind of descent into madness but to me the heart of the piece is really David's rise uh and and the way that we see him grow from this young um yeah this young man who's singing to comfort the king and that's how he first kind of enters into the world uh of of sort of power Um, And the way we see him grow and mature into this warrior who is a kind of champion on the battlefield and the way that we really see him grow personally and the personal dynamics we see at play with this love that he feels for Jonathan, the king's son. And we see this really remarkable portrayal of homosexual love uh, that, you know, biblical scholars still sort of debate but the text, uh, at least to my 21st century mind, is pretty clear. At the very end, the ultimate um, sort of tragedy of the piece, uh, well, I'll give a spoiler alert here, but uh, Jonathan, Jonathan is killed in battle in addition to Saul the king. And at the very end of the piece, the final thing we're left with really is David learning that his beloved Jonathan has been killed. And then David sings this lament, O oh, Fatal Day, where he says and more than woman's love i found in thee O jonathan and he just sings this heart-wrenching lament at the death of his beloved jonathan so it's really um the journey that we get to see david go on and for me as an artist the journey that i get to portray uh, as david it's really uh, really a remarkable role
0: let's talk about countertenors in Handel operas and that in Handel's day there were the castrati and these were the rock stars of the opera world back then we don't have castrati yeah. anymore and that's probably just fine <laughs> but we have men who train as countertenors and for those who are new to what this is all about how would you how would you describe what a countertenor is to to a new listener?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a countertenor kind of most simply is a man singing in the vocal range that we traditionally associate with a woman. And in uh, the sort of classical vocal world, it's obviously a kind of unique niche. There are very few countertenors. But if we think about it, I think it's interesting to look at in sort of pop music as well and culture at large. We're actually far more accustomed to countertenor singing than I think we give ourselves credit for. So I mean, if you think about in pop, if you think about Prince and the Bee Gees and Sam Smith and, I mean, any, almost every, Justin Bieber, I mean, almost every male pop singer is singing very a, a very good portion of the time kind of as a countertenor in that higher range. So I think it's something we're actually more familiar with than we might realize uh, at first listen when we listen to a, to a classical countertenor. But there is something um, that I've just found over the years that's sort of unique about um, the countertenor voice that kind of draws people in. Uh, In a way that I absolutely love. If you don't mind, I'd love to tell a quick little story, kind of along those lines, which is when I was doing the Metropolitan Opera competition, my family was there in the audience watching, and at the finals, my I remember my dad was sitting. You know, they had great seats. Whatever the couple free tickets I were given were, and it was like you know the sixth row center orchestra. And there was a little boy right in front of my dad who had been brought there, clearly by a grandparent, and the little boy, you know, who was probably seven or eight years old, was not very interested, clearly had been sort of dragged, but was there. And this boy was distracted the whole time, I mean, kicking the seat in front of him, apparently, and just not paying attention. And I came out and I started singing, and something about this countertenor voice, this voice coming out of a, you know, I'm a six foot two, broad shouldered guy. There was something about this voice uh, that really drew this kid in, and apparently for both my pieces, he was just on the edge of his seat, and uh, you know, couldn't couldn't be more intrigued. So, you know, there's something sort of unique about the countertenor voice, whatever it is, that um, you know, I I really enjoy.
2: You're
0: You know, I was going over performances that you've done and just doing keyword searches and up pops the fact that, and I realized, that you were scheduled to perform right here in Portland with Portland Opera this spring in Vivaldi's yes,
1: Bazaget, yeah. It was the last uh, place I was right as the pandemic was hitting and I had a great time singing on a Thursdays at 3 program with you all at All Classical Portland. and. Uh, no, I love Portland, and we were having such a wonderful time putting that production together. We had, we had been rehearsing for, I guess, a full month. We were in tech. We were about to open a few days from opening when the, when, when the pandemic shutdowns kind of began. But um, no, so uh, I'm sad we weren't able to share that with uh, the Portland public, but I hope we will be able to do so uh, another time soon.
0: Thank you so much for your time today to talk about Philharmonia Baroque Orchestra's new recording of Saul by George Frideric Candle.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me and uh, hope to be with you again soon.
0: All right, well, have a great day and, uh, and thank you again very much for your time today.
1: My pleasure. Be well, stay healthy.
0: You too.